0: Father, we thank you so much that we are your church, we're your people, and when we get into your word, God, you always are true to your word. You always honor your word. So today, Father, we choose to honor your word. We give it priority in our lives. We pray that you would just use your word this morning to mold us and to shape us, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that you would change our heart as well. We make ourselves pliable and available to be used by you and to be changed by you during this time today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, would you meet me in 2 Timothy chapter 4? 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to bring you a message today called Now and Later. Now and Later. Now, just to give some context to the passage of Scripture that we're going to be reading through today, the Apostle Paul, in all of his writings to Timothy, this is in the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy in the New Testament, in all of his writings, really what he's doing with Timothy is he's not just giving him direction and instruction, but he's speaking wisdom into Timothy's life from his own experience. And so when we read through this, Paul gives him these words of instruction and wisdom, if you will, where he's telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, if you will put into place this wisdom in your life now, then when you get to be my age later, you'll look back and say, I'm so glad that I heeded these words of wisdom and instruction because I don't have any regrets with the life that I've lived. And Paul's pushing Timothy forward, recognizing Timothy, you've got a great calling on your life, but if you want to fulfill it, you need to make some decisions now that will inform your future so that you can do it successfully and later look over your shoulder and say, I don't have any regrets. I did it well. I ran my race well, and I'm happy with what I made of my life. That's what we're going to be reading today. If you look at this in a macro level and look at this in the big picture. Now, there's a small thing that Paul talks about, and we'll talk about that just a little bit as well here in 2 Timothy 4, but I want to read, first of all, these first four verses and look at the warning and the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy. He says in verse 1, I charge you, Timothy, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables now let's stop right there for a moment and we're going to look at this from a big picture case right now or in just a moment but i just want to comment briefly on the smaller thing that's happening in this part of the passage. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy, is speaking prophetically here, and he's speaking prophetically to Timothy and really to us as well. So if you know your Bible and you've been walking with God for a while, you hear those words where Paul says there's a time coming where people will turn away from sound doctrine and they will start listening to voices and listening to teachers who tell them things that they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And as he says that, he gives Timothy a warning. And we recognize scripturally that Paul is being prophetic right here. Now, the the quick point I want to make is that it's very easy for us to read this and think, wow, Paul, that sounds so much like what's going on today in the church world and the world that we live in. And it's easy to think that Paul's talking to us and that he had us in mind when he wrote this. We don't really have a lot of evidence to know that Paul was writing this to us because Paul was actually writing it to Timothy. But the broader point that I want to make here is this. This passage points out that while Paul is the writer, the Holy Spirit is the author. Because Paul might not have been able to see what the church and what the world would look like 2,000 years later, but the Holy Spirit absolutely did. So anytime you read scripture and you see something prophetic, we we sometimes can make the mistake of inserting ourselves into the story. Paul was writing to Timothy, but the Holy Spirit knew that we would still need to hear that today. So hold on to that when you read your Bible, when you read through Scripture, know that it's the Holy Spirit that's speaking, the Holy Spirit is the author, and the Holy Spirit that's bringing about the revelation. But again, Paul's talking to Timothy, who's essentially a son in the faith, and he says, Timothy, there's some things that are coming in the future that you're going to have to navigate, and there are things that even I didn't have to deal with. I haven't been through some of the things that you have been through, that you're going to go through, but I have some timeless wisdom and some instruction I want to give you so that you can navigate this well. You know, I love being a part of a generational church. And we see a generational picture here with Paul speaking to a son in the faith, Timothy. And when we talk about being a generational church, I've heard Pastor Corey use that phrase many, many times. I love that we are multi-generations, not catering to one generation over another, but a true multi-generational church is where each generation has something to give to the others, and each generation can receive. They make themselves open to receive from the others. And if we can do that, we'll give to each other, we'll receive from each other, but we'll also add value to one another's lives. And here's what I just want to say very quickly to every generation in the house. Young people, if you're younger, you're new in your faith, when you walk through the doors of the Bridge Church, you might look around and see people who are in your age bracket. But you also might look around and see some people who aren't in your age bracket. Just because they are not in the same season of life that you are doesn't make them irrelevant to your life. In fact, they have wisdom and experience that you need in your life. And to those who aren't so young anymore, you might look at those who are younger than you and the way that they do life wears you out just watching them for two minutes. But can I tell you this morning, their youthful enthusiasm and their exuberance is something that you need in your life. Because as you look ahead, I want you to know that God's not finished with you yet, and he wants you to have faith and optimism for your future. So Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, i got to give you a heads up about the things that are coming. And he gives him those warnings. I haven't walked through this before, Timothy. I haven't been where you're about to go. But I can give you some timeless wisdom that will help you navigate the obstacles that are in front of you. And that's where we go to verse 5. In verse 5, Paul gives Timothy four specific instructions, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. Verse 5, Paul says, Timothy, you need to be watchful in all things. Everybody say watchful. Watchful. You need to endure afflictions. Everybody say endure. Do the work of an evangelist. Everybody say work. work. And fulfill your ministry. Everybody say fulfill. Four simple instructions. Be watchful, endure, work, and fulfill. Let's talk about these four things for the rest of the time that we have today. He says, be watchful. Now, when I say to you, if I was the one who was giving this instruction to you, if you want to navigate the future well as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you need to be watchful. I think a lot of us would quickly respond and say, oh, Pastor Zach, I'm really good at being watchful. Let me tell you, I'm watching what's going on in the world around us all the time. Let me tell you how watchful I am. I watch CNN. I watch Fox News. I watch MSNBC. I watch CNBC because I care about my wallet too. But not only that, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. And I'm even new to TikTok. Like, you're following everything that's going on. We have our ears and our eyes attuned to everything that's going on in the world around us. And there are many people in the room that maybe that sounds like your life when I said that. Paul says, Timothy, you got to be watchful. And maybe you thought to yourself, oh, I'm watching. I'm watching what's going on. I see what's going on in the world around me. And you know what? I don't like it. There's a lot of evil, there's a lot of bad, the devil's out to get us, things are just falling apart, it's all going to hell, things are just terrible, and the world, I'm watching, don't worry, I'm paying attention, I'm looking, I'm seeing what's going on. Here's what's interesting about this. Paul says to Timothy, be watchful. The King James says, watch. But if you go back and you look at the original Greek here, the original Greek word that we see for this word watch or watchful is the word nepho, and it has absolutely nothing to do with our eyes. The literal definition of this word nepho, which means to be watchful, the literal definition is to be sober, calm, collected in spirit, be temperate, and this is my favorite word, dispassionate. And we're going to walk through those in just a moment, but if I asked you to be watchful and you told me about all the things that you're watching, we might quickly find out that what you're doing or what I'm doing isn't what Paul was talking about, He says, be watchful, and really what he's talking about here is he's saying, have an emotional and a sensible awareness of what's going on around you, but don't be blown to and fro by everything that you see and everything that you hear. When he says, be watchful, that first word that we get out of that definition is this word, sober. See the world, Timothy. You have to choose and understand. You have to learn how to see the world soberly. Now, what's the opposite of sober? It's intoxicated. Here's my question for you. Do you look around at the things that are happening in the world, even as a Christian, and find yourselves being so intoxicated by the craziness around you that we're just staggering through life and we don't know where to turn and we don't know what to do? Do you ever find yourself in that place? Because even as Christians, we often make the mistake of doing that. We get so intoxicated, so filled up by what's going on around us that we can't see straight. We're wobbling through life. Paul says you got to be watchful. You have to be sober in the way that you choose to see what's going on in the world around you. And then he says you've got to be calm. You have to choose to be calm. Calm yourself down. Don't get so riled up by the things that are happening around you. You're going to have to choose your battles, Timothy, and you're going to have to choose to remain calm even when the world around you is getting crazy. But perhaps my favorite word in that definition is the word dispassionate. We never use the word dispassionate. We always talk about, I'm so passionate about this. And I just, you know, I'm passionate about this thing and that thing. And I want to give my life to this because I'm passionate about that. But when it comes to, to Timothy learning to be watchable of what's going on around him, Paul says, you're going to have to learn to remove emotion from the things that you observe. And that sounds so different from the world that we live in where it's like having a badge of honor next to your name if you're an activist or you're vocal about things and you're passionate and you're outspoken and I'm always here and there speaking out about this thing, that thing and everything else. And Paul says, no, you're going to have to remove some of your passion and some of your emotion from the situation if you want to see things clearly. Being watchful means I'm aware, but I'm not swayed. I'm not moved. I just know what's going on, but I come back to the place that I'm grounded. I'm grounded in the word of God and I'm grounded in the kingdom of God. You know, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, the writer of Hebrews talks about all the promises of God, the promises that God gave to Abraham. And when he made those promises to Abraham, he had no greater name to swear by than himself. So God swore by his own name all of the promises he gave to Abraham. And it goes on and it talks about all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That means that when God makes promises to us, they are sure we can hold on to them no matter what's going on in the world around us. Can I tell you something today? If you have put your faith in Christ, eternity is sure. It's up to you to follow Jesus. We can have promises not just for eternity, but also in the life that we live today. And it goes on later in Hebrews 6, and it says, this hope that we have in the promises of God, this hope is an anchor for our soul. Do you know what that means? What does an anchor do? An anchor holds that boat in place even when the wind is blowing hard. We live in a world where the wind around us is blowing really hard. And we can get drawn this way and that way, and pretty soon we're not thinking clearly or seeing things as we should. We have to choose to get our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soulish person, anchored firmly in the word of God and in the promises of God so that no matter what's going on around us, we won't be moved and we won't be shaken. So Paul says, Timothy, you got to be watchful, but it doesn't have anything to do with your eyes. It has everything to do with the emotional condition of your life. And we have to choose to be watchful, not swayed this way or that way, but firmly rooted, planted, and grounded in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. But then he goes on after that and gives him a second instruction. He says, Timothy, not only do you need to be rooted and watchful of what's going on around you, but you're going to have to endure afflictions. Now, this isn't a fun thing to talk about. And even putting this message together today, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, how long do they really want to sit there and hear me talk about afflictions? Because the word affliction literally means to be attacked by evil, to have evil come upon you. But what's funny is this word here is actually a a compound word. It's kakopatheo in the Greek. But what we see is that it's a compound word not just focusing on the affliction, but the endurance of the affliction. Sadly, we're all going to walk through challenges in life. The question is not how big is the challenge. The question is how big is my level of endurance for the challenge? And Paul looks at Timothy and says, you got to get ready because there's going to be challenges. You're going to face some afflictions, but don't focus on the affliction. Focus on your endurance. Let's talk about endurance for just a moment. When I think about this word endurance, I, I really see two pictures. I think about walking through something that is not fun and that is not enjoyable, that under ordinary circumstances, I would not choose to do. That's what endurance is. Sometimes you have to endure something in order to get to the other side of it. But the second picture I see is the person who's training for the marathon. I got to speak last Sunday afternoon at a memorial service for a friend who passed away a few weeks ago, and he ran marathons. He was a marathon runner. And as some of his family was talking about this, it kind of got me thinking about this message today because I've never run a marathon before. i never trained for that. But one of the things that I learned as I just kind of researched that over the last few days is that marathon training is not something that happens really quickly It happens slowly over time. And not only that, but you don't get ready for a marathon by running one mile every morning for just a few days. No, you have to run one mile one day, then a couple miles the day after that, and then three miles the day after that. And you have to build up. Why? Because with endurance through each mile, it might be difficult, but you get stronger the further that you go. And that's the picture that I see with endurance. Now, There's a lot to be said about this, but the only reason anybody would choose endurance is if they knew there was something on the other side of what they were going through that's greater than where they came from. You choose to go through something because where I'm going is greater than where I've been. See, endurance is totally necessary when we're looking to complete something or achieve something. And in order to complete the race of life and achieve all that God has for us, we are going to have to choose endurance along the way. Now, scripturally speaking, I want to go back to Hebrews real quick because the writer of Hebrews, and Pastor Gary spent some time on this in Hebrews 12 over the last couple of weeks. Hebrews 12 gives us the faith hall of fame of all these great heroes of faith that did all these wonderful things. But before we even see descriptions of what they did, the first two verses of Hebrews 12 tell us about Jesus. Pastor Gary talked about this again over the last couple of weeks. Look at this real quick, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now watch this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Push pause right there and let me just remind you of something. If you're walking through a tough season and having to endure a difficult situation right now, Jesus has already gone before you. If you'll put your eyes on him and your faith in him and follow him, you're going to get through this season and go where he's calling you to go. Looking unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, Jesus looked ahead. And saw what awaited him on the other side of the cross. But that didn't mean that going to the cross was easy. We all know the story. Jesus goes to the cross. But let me just call your attention back very quickly. You know, before Jesus goes to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's with his disciples. He's praying. He's in his darkest, loneliest, most difficult hour before he goes to the cross. And in that moment, Scripture says it becomes so intense that his sweat becomes drops of blood. And he's praying to the Father, and he says, Father... If it be your plan or your will, if there's any way, let this cup go past me, because this is going to be difficult. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And the whole picture we see there is Jesus understanding, I'm going to have to endure this, but there's something on the other side of it that's so great that it makes it worth going through. What is it in your life that's so great that it makes what you're walking through right now so totally worth it? What is it that God's called you to do with your life? What's that thing that he's placed out before you? Now, our walk with God is always gonna call us to higher levels of greater and deeper trust. And if we'll endure the trials and endure the challenges, maybe even the afflictions, we'll find out that it was worth it when we get to the other side. You know, the other thing I wanna say about this, we talked about training for the marathon. Maybe you're walking through a difficult season right now. And the idea of talking about endurance It's deflating and discouraging because you say, how long do I have to do this? How long am I going to walk through this season? I know that the season that you might be walking through right now feels pretty difficult and it feels pretty tough, but God wants you to get through this season because here's the thing. This isn't going to be the last trial you face. And if you can get through this one, you're going to be stronger and you're going to be more ready for the next one. Why? Because God's calling you to bigger, better, greater things. Amen? Amen. We have to choose endurance even when it's difficult. But for the joy set before us, we endure trials, we endure challenges to get where God is calling us to go. The third thing that he says, the third instruction that Paul gives to Timothy, is he says, Timothy, you gotta do the work. And more specifically, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Now, I wanna separate those for a moment and take that word evangelist out for a second because that was Timothy's one of Timothy's callings. Timothy was the pastor of the Ephesian church, But he also had an evangelistic gifting or calling that was on his life. And Paul says, Timothy, you're going to have to do the work. How many of you know that life is made up of hard work? As much as we don't want it to be this way, life is often made up of so much hard work that we can get tired, we can get weary, we can get worn out with the amount of work that goes into life. One of the things that kept coming to my heart as I was preparing over the last few days was when it comes to work, we all understand that work isn't always easy. Some days of work are harder than others, some days are easier than others. And we don't mind doing the hard work when the payout is great. But work is hard when the results aren't as great as we had been hoping for. How many business owners in the house? In the days, the early days of starting that business when you were trying to get your feet on the ground and get going, it was hard. And even what you made, you had to put back into the business. You couldn't just put it in your pocket because you're trying to build something for the future. Sometimes work is hard, and I think the time that work gets discouraging is when we don't see the results that we wanted to see as quickly as we wanted to see them. Work can be really fulfilling when the payout is big and the payout is fast. But what happens when the payout is slow and the payout is small? We get discouraged with the work. And Paul says, Timothy, you're going to have to keep working. And every single day of your life, you're going to have to keep working. And even when it's hard, you're going to have to keep working. And even when you're tired, you're going to have to keep working. See, when it comes to the work of our hands and the calling that's in front of us or the job that's in front of us, the business that's in front of us, whatever opportunities we have, we have to see our work as seed, as sowing and reaping. You know, it doesn't always, uh, fruit doesn't always come up fast after we've sown a seed. Sometimes it takes a little while. And sometimes choosing work is difficult because we don't see the harvest as fast as we wanted to. But this principle of seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, is something that we see from the Old Testament that wasn't just a natural law and principle, but it applies in every area of our life. And work is a part of it. Now, I want to give you a couple of examples of this because, you know, sometimes, and I'll, I'll speak for me, Okay. Sometimes in pastoral ministry, there are conversations that we have with people all the time where you feel like the only job that's in front of you is just to encourage somebody. And, you know, when we start talking about the Word of God and the things of God, and someone comes and says, I got this struggle in my life, I'm dealing with this, this tragedy has happened, this difficulty, whatever it might be, sometimes people will come, and what we want is like, well, let's pray about that, and let's see God just change it all right here and now. And God can do that. God can perform the miraculous at any time. But sometimes... The change that we're looking for is a seed of faith that takes time to produce a harvest. And as I was thinking about this, I was amazed about a month ago when we started talking about baptisms and then suddenly saw the response that we did over the last three weeks with baptisms. It was incredible. And it was like just out of the blue there came a harvest of something that God had been doing slowly but surely over the course of a few months. And In fact, I mean, just talking about the hard work side of it, you know, we have an awesome team that serves in our area of baptisms and um, some great people that serve here around our facility and uh, as well as our school of ministry students who put a lot of work into it also. But we were cleaning up over the last few days just that area of of baptisms and it was a lot of work. But then I sat there and thought about the 151 people that got baptized over the last three weeks. And I thought, you know what? Every ounce of that effort and work was totally worth it. What an amazing thing that God's doing in people's lives. And there are days that your work might seem so tedious. And it might seem like you're not getting the results that you want as quickly as you want them. But if you'll see it as a seed and trust God with the harvest, He's always true to His word. And there will come a day with your work that you're going to look back and you're going to say, It was all worth it in the end. I trusted God. I planted those seeds. He's the Lord of the harvest, the Bible says. That means that if I can control the seed, I put it in the ground, I water it, and I trust him with the process, and I trust him with the results. And if I do the things that he's asked me to do, he will be the Lord of the harvest and bring about fruit in every area of my life. Some of you stay-at-home moms, not just stay-at-home moms, some of you moms that you take care of the kids with every available hour that you have, you might be working a job full-time. You might be working a job part-time. You might be a stay-at-home mom and you feel like your whole world right now is consumed by these kids who need something from you every moment of every day. I watch how that is with my wife and there's sometimes where I'm just like, my gosh, that must feel so draining. But you know what it's like at the end of the day, even if it's been a tough one, when they walk up and they sit in, their, in your lap and they put their arms around you. They just express a little bit of love. It makes it all worth it. And the seeds that you're planting today in the lives of your kids are gonna bear fruit in a harvest if you'll keep doing the work. One of the thoughts that came to mind yesterday: I have a cousin, she lives in Dallas, and this past week, she took she and her husband took their four kids, a, a new, three kids and a newborn, to Disney World. <laughs> That's crazy. And she posted this really pretty thing yesterday on Instagram, where she was saying that her oldest son they got on the airplane to come home, and she said her oldest son just sat down in the seat next to her, and he was being really sweet, and he just looked at her and said, "Mom." Thanks for taking us on the most amazing vacation ever. She said, you know, you want to build gratitude into your kids and into their lives and in your heart, but you don't always see it. You do all this work, and they spent all this money to take their kids on vacation. She said, and it all amounts to this moment we're getting back on an airplane to go home, and what comes out of him? He just says, Mom, thank you. And gratitude comes out. See, she was sowing seeds all along, and it finally paid off with that little moment of gratitude where he just said, thank you. you something there are seeds that you're sowing right now they might not have paid off yet but if you keep doing the work god's the lord of the harvest he's going to see that it comes to full fruition in your life (laughs) last thing that paul says first he says be watchful he says have endurance he says do the work but really this fourth thing isn't as much a command or an instruction as it's the result of the first three He says, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. If you look in the King James, it says, make full proof of your ministry. What's interesting about that to me is some of the language in many translations, it says prove or make full proof of your ministry. You know, we are always, as human beings, trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to prove ourselves in the world that we live. We're trying to prove ourselves maybe according to how much money we make, How successful we've been in business. Maybe we try to prove ourselves according to the value of our possessions. There's so many different ways that we go about trying to prove ourselves in life, but the instruction that Paul gives here isn't, Paul gives to Timothy is not, Timothy, go out and prove yourself. He says, if you will do these things, if you will be watchful, if you will have endurance, and if you'll do the work, then this thing will all come full circle, and you will then prove Yourself by being faithful in everything that you've done leading up to this. And I love this because one of the other words that you actually see in the translation is not prove or make full proof, it's actually fulfill. Did you know that God wants you to be fulfilled in the things that you're doing with your life? That word fulfill is a word that we use pretty regularly, but the best way to understand the word fulfill is to turn it around. To be fulfilled is is really to be filled fully. It's when you work so hard emptying yourself, but yet you're still filled fully with joy, with accomplishment, with achievement. Why? Because you've poured your life into something that you love and something that you care about. And he says, Timothy, you'll find fulfillment. You'll see the proof of your ministry if you'll be watchful, if you'll have endurance, and if you'll do the work. If you will do those things, you're going to get to the end of your life like I am. And you're going to be totally fulfilled, and your ministry will prove itself. Why? Because you have been fulfilled faithful. You know, there's these two words, and I don't have this in my notes, but this just hit me in the heart right now. These two words that are similar to one another, faithfulness and fruitfulness. What does God want from our life? Does he want faithfulness or does he want fruitfulness? Well, I would say God wants our lives to be fruitful, but in order for us to bear fruit or be fruitful, we have to choose to be faithful every day. Fruitfulness is the proof, faithfulness is the process. And for a lot of us, we might go through life trying to prove ourselves to the world around us, but all God wants you to do is be fruitful with what he's, faithful with what he's given you, and your life will bear fruit that proves how good God is. And Paul says to Timothy, make full proof of your ministry. Now, this is where I want to land today because Paul isn't talking about proving yourself at all here. He's saying, Timothy, your ministry will prove itself if you will be watchful have endurance and do the work that God has called you to do. A couple of closing thoughts I want to share with you today. If you take the passage and you read it fully, he says, make full proof of your ministry. Many of you, when you read that verse, maybe you see that word ministry and you think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. He's talking to Timothy because Timothy was called to be a pastor. And Timothy was called to be an evangelist. And that's actually the word that we see in this passage. See, one of the big mistakes that a lot of us as Christians make is we think that ministry is for pastors, teachers, worship leaders, prophets, evangelists, apostles. We see all that and we say, well, that's what ministry is. And we think, well, if that word ministry is used, then he must not be talking to me because I could never stand on a platform. I could never preach to other people. I could never teach the word of God. Lord knows people don't want to hear me sing and lead worship. I'm a terrible singer. And we see that word ministry, and we can often feel disqualified because we think that we have to be one of those things. But if you look at the word ministry all throughout Scripture, it simply means one thing. It means to serve. So if I asked you the question, can you preach? You might say, no, Zach, I don't even want to try. Can you teach? Oh, no, please. I would never want to get up in front of people. Can you lead worship? Oh, my gosh, no. But how about this? Can you serve somebody? We can all do that. So if ministry means serve, do you know what that means? That means that each and every one of us can minister. And see, your ministry isn't that hard to discover because most likely it's already right in front of you. Think about the people in your neighborhood. When a need comes up, the people that you know in your neighborhood that you talk to, you hear about something that's going on and your heart jumps up and says, really, that's what they're going through? I can help with that. I can do something about that. Do you know what you're doing? You're serving them, which means you are ministering the love of Christ to them in what they're walking through. Think about the people that you work with. We hear things all the time. People talk about people at work. We get a prayer request. This person that I work with is going through this. It's a really horrible, difficult situation. I don't know what to do, but I know that we can pray. Can I tell you something? If you can encourage them, if you can pray for them, and if you can serve them in some tangible way, you are ministering to that person in your world. If you're a parent, sometimes we feel like we're just serving our kids all the time, don't we? We want to look to the day that their kids are serving us. But we understand that it's a ministry to serve our kids in a sense, to teach them the ways of God, to show them right from wrong, to teach them in the way that they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. It's a ministry. And sometimes we might feel like, man, I'm serving, serving, serving. No, you're ministering, ministering, ministering to your kids. You might be at a place in life where you say, Zach, I've got more free time than I've ever had before. My kids are out of the house. I'm not that busy with work or any kind of work at all. Can I tell you something? The house of God, the church, is the perfect place to serve other people and minister to people. So here's what I want you to do. If you're taking notes or even if you haven't been taking notes, I want you to take your phone out or just grab your pencil. Your pencil, your pen. Nobody has a pencil here. I want you to write this down in pen or on your phone, write these words. I have a ministry. I have a ministry. It might take you a moment to think about what it is, but I want to ask you this question one more time. Who can you serve in your life? Is there someone around you that you can serve tangibly, meeting a need in their life? Do you know what that is? That's ministering that person in your life see god has not just called pastors teachers apostles prophets and evangelists to ministry god has called the body of christ to ministry and if you can serve you can minister these four instructions that paul gives he says timothy you got to be watchful You've got to be dispassionate sometimes. Sometimes you've got to remove emotion from the situation. Don't be swayed. Don't be intoxicated by what's going on around you. Think clearly. Think soberly. Get a good look at what's going on. Be aware, but don't be swayed. And you're going to have to have endurance. You're going to have to be willing to walk through some things, but there's good stuff on the other side if you'll be willing to endure it. He says, You've got to be willing to do the work. Even if you don't see the results you want as fast as you want, you've got to be willing to do the work. And if you'll do those things, you'll make full proof. You will fulfill everything God has called you to do. And everybody will look at your life and say, yep, they lived it to the fullest. I think about our lives, I think about God giving us a cup, a jar, a glass, a vase, and saying, here you go. Go fill it up. Pour everything you've got into it. Be watchful. Endure. Work. Fill that thing up. And when you get to the end of the journey, you'll look back and say, I don't have any regrets because I did exactly what God called me to do. Amen. Would you bow your head with me this morning? God, I'm grateful for the people that you've placed here at the Bridge Church. God, you have a bright future, not just for our church, but for each one of us individually. But you've also given us instruction from your word for how we can get through the challenges of life and navigate those challenges. God, I pray first of all for every generation that's represented in this house. I pray that we wouldn't resist one another, but we would open up to one another so that we can give to one another and receive from one another and add add value to each other. God, I pray for every person that's here today that might be walking through a difficult season. I pray that you would reveal to them what's on the other side of what they are enduring right now and encourage them so that they can not only make it through, but they can achieve the prize that's set before them in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the people that might be here today and what they're looking for above all else is fulfillment. Maybe they're looking to different places in life, trying to find fulfillment, and they haven't found it yet. I pray that you would show them the places that they can serve others, and they can empty themselves only to be filled up with fulfillment, Father, that only you give through the ministry that you've called them to perform. I pray that you would show it to them, God, what it is that they can do to minister to somebody else, and they would find fulfillment in the process. God, for those who might be here today and they're swayed to and fro, they're moved here and there by the stuff that's going on around us in the world that we live in, I pray that you would get their attention, God, you would place their feet on a solid rock and let them know, Lord Jesus, that you are in control, and if they will stay rooted in your word and in your kingdom, they can't be swayed. Bring peace to their hearts if they're worried. Bring, pre- bring peace to their hearts if they're concerned or fearful and let them know that you're in control and remind them to stay rooted and grounded in you. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment, maybe you're here today and you've heard all of that and you hear these instructions and you say, that sounds awesome. I wanna live a life of fulfillment. I wanna find God's purpose, God's calling, God's ministry for my life. But maybe you haven't found it because you haven't said yes to a relationship with God yet. Scripture is so clear that there's only one way to enter into a relationship with God. That's by saying yes to the Son of God, Jesus. The one who came to this earth, took on human form, human flesh, lived a sinless, spotless life, and went to the cross and died a death that he did not deserve for our sins so that you and I could be forgiven, our slate wiped clean, and experience salvation. That same Jesus died for us, went to the cross, but then three days later, God raised him from the dead and conquered death, hell, and the grave for all of eternity so that you and I would not have to face it if we would just put our faith in Christ. If you've never done that before, I wanna lead you in a prayer in just a moment and give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe you wanna recommit your life to Christ today. I wanna give you that chance as well. It's not about saying magic words. It's about meaning it with everything in your heart and just confessing out loud where you are placing your faith. So let's pray together right now. I want to ask if everybody in the room would repeat these words after me. Say, Jesus, I thank you for going to the cross for me. I believe that you are the son of God and I believe that your death was full payment for my sin. So today, I put my hope in you, my faith in you, my trust in you. I will follow you in this life into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, we're almost done. I wanna ask for everybody's attention just for one moment because every week at this point in the service, we always take time to give an explanation to people who just made a decision to follow Christ. You know, for those of us who have been walking with God for a while, this might seem redundant, but for people who make a decision for the first time or are recommitting their life to Christ, this is everything. Last week we had 13 people that made decisions to follow Christ. And you know what? This moment means eternity to them. So I'm gonna ask everybody if you would give us your fullest attention during this moment. If you made a decision to follow Christ, we wanna help you start your walk with God. We have a simple gift, a tool called The Next Seven Days that we would love to give you. There's a couple of different ways that you can get it. We'll have prayer teams down on the floor up against these side walls after service. Just walk up to one of our prayer teams. Let them know you made a decision to follow Christ and you wanna get the book, they'll give it to you. This is an opportunity for us to help you start your walk with God. So please, take advantage of that opportunity. If you need to go quickly after service, just stop by the next seven days desk. It's right between the glass doors before you exit the building. We'll have team there as well. Just let them know you made a decision to follow Christ and you want to get the book. We will help you in any way that we can, but above all else, we want to help you start your walk with God. So congratulations, well done, great decision. Can we just put our hands together and welcome people into God's family? Please welcome Pastor Nick. All
1: right, let's give Pastor Zach a hand for that amazing message. I was encouraged today. Hey, we're at that point of our service where it's our time to give our tithe and offering to the Lord. Uh, Pastor Zach already mentioned this, but hey, it's the faithfulness, it's the process. And I wanna say thank you for your faithfulness. And as you are faithful in your giving, the fruit will come. And so thank you for that. Uh, You can give online through our app or the website. Uh, You can also drop it off at our giving stations here at the church in the back. Or if you wanna mail it in, you can also mail it in too. Hey, before we go, just two quick announcements. Bridge Men is happening this coming Saturday, and we are super excited about that, so it's happening at 8.30, so men, please make plans, be ready to show up, we will be meeting in the chapel, and we hope to meet every single one of you, so tell other guys, invite some friends, it'll be a great opportunity, and also one last announcement, where are all of our seniors in the house today, all right, seniors? Oh, there's more of you than that. Hey, we have Senior Connection coming this this next Sunday. It'll be in the after service, after the second service, one o'clock. It's gonna be amazing. We've got food catered. It's gonna be awesome. The cost is $10. You can register online on the app, or if you wanna do that in person, we have somebody out at the Info Center today. You can go out there and register there as well. Church, would you stand to your feet? We just wanna say thank you so much for coming. God bless you. Have an incredible day.